Hey, I wanted to mention something. A number of people I've talked with here over the weeks, months here lately, I just, something came to my mind. I thought I'd share it. I was talking with Linda about it the other day. And you know how we certainly live in the most unperfect world. (laughs) I know, I know it should be a surprise. But so with that comes uh, sometimes you don't see justice in your situation, right? You you have been wronged, you've been, uh, and you've tried to make your case and nobody's hearing your plea, uh, whatever. And, and uh, I was reminded, uh, when I think about that kind of thing, uh, which is, at the very least, the most frustrating thing that you could experience, <laughs> at the very most, the most devastating thing, depending on the type of injustice that's been done to you. Um, but Habakkuk, if you read the book of Habakkuk, in the first chapter, um, uh, he lays out his complaint before the Lord and says, all these evil jerks are just getting away with it. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but you know, he's saying these people that do evil are getting away with it. Why, Lord? And um, God's response to him so if you read the first couple of chapters there, uh, between the first uh, verse and the midway through chapter 2, his response is, well, just wait. My justice is coming. And though that doesn't uh, eliminate any suffering now because of injustice, we have to put it in the Lord's hands. The alternative is bitterness. Uh, which will destroy yourself, okay? And so, I don't know, whoever that's for, <laughs> I'll just throw it out there. I mean, I, I know several people that are going through very difficult things where justice is not being done. So I, uh, I know I speak to them, but just in general, we, we, we live in a world where you, you know, it's just justice is not always done, you know? And so I just wanted to share that with you. Um, that was God's response to Habakkuk, and I think we need to receive that as our response. If we're not getting justice here, God will, he will respond in his time. It may be at the end of our time, uh, chronologically here, when we enter eternity, and God will mete out justice then. But So we have to put it in his hands. We have to let him take care of retribution or whatever there is, okay? So... Um, All right, so let's go to the prayer right now. Let's just ask for God's help this morning. Heavenly Father, we just, um, we do, we do uh, take before you, Lord, just our cries for justice, if that's where we're at, if that's what's happening, if we're experiencing injustice, and we want to um, just put these situations in your hands and, and trust that you will eventually mete out justice. And um, we, we want to trust you with that. Your word is true. We know we can trust you. You're not um, like man who lies. And so if your word says you eventually will mete out justice here on the earth, then we, we trust that it is true. And so, Lord, we, we also want to take this time as a congregation to just lift up those in our church family that are sick physically, they're ill, they're, they're uh, recovering from surgeries or procedures or whatever, Lord, we just pray for your healing touch on their bodies. 
Um, and we, we just pray, God, for protection for them and that you'd restore wholeness to them. And we just um, thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the body of Christ that um, is the hands and feet of G- Jesus in situations where people can help, Lord, and we thank you for their faithfulness to serve and help others. And we pray for those that might be just struggling spiritually, God. Pray that you would um, just infuse them with an extra measure of hope and strength and encouragement today. And Lord, we just, I pray for me this morning, you'd help me, God, to um, just to be your vessel. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> some people, when they give exams or tests, they'll put uh, true or false questions down there. Um, it's kind of nice, especially if you don't know the answers. You've got a 50-50 chance, right? True or false, compared to like multiple choice where you might have you know 25% chance on just a straight-up guess. Um, but when you put a true or false question down there, you realize, well, one of these is right and one of these is wrong. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is what's true and there's what's not true. And uh, today we are going to look at, in, this, in these just three verses of chapter 2 of Second Peter, is kind of a, I'm calling it a profile of a false teacher, because in these three verses there's so many things that are mentioned about false teaching, and the characteristics of a false teacher, and, they, and also the fallout from uh, false teaching being followed it's mentioned here. And as I was studying this, these three verses, I was just thinking, this is kind of like the, uh, the, the, uh, the science teacher that gives you, a, gives you a fish, you know, and says, observe everything you can about this fish and write it down. And you're like, oh, it's slimy. It has two eyes. It seems to not survive outside the water. You know, and you could come up with a list of all these characteristics, right, uh, by observation. And uh, I say that because, like, again, just three verses, but there's lots to be observed here. Lots to be observed here. Let's, um, if you're able, let's stand in honor of the Word of God, and let's read these three verses together, shall we? Uh, read it out loud together. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. This is the word of God. Please have a seat. So there's six things I saw in here. There might be more in terms of if you're kind of coming up with the profile of a false teacher. And so one of these is what's, which uh, is kind of striking. It says, you know, uh, and by the way, let me just make a connection here with the previous section before we go down this list. I was just thinking that, you know, the previous 
at the end of chapter 1, it was talking about how, you know, it says that, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but by men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We kind of left off with that. These people, these men that the Holy Spirit moved upon to write down exactly what God wanted, and we spent a good time talking about how that was, is they spoke from God. They spoke truthfully. And now we're getting into those who have not spoken truthfully. Okay, so he's, he's, he's transitioning here. And he says, uh, but false prophets also rose among the people. You know, that, ha- that was happening in the Old Testament. There were false prophets, right? We saw that when we were, um, you know, studied Daniel and Second Kings. We saw people, uh, prophets that were um, faking it, basically. Uh, uh, some of them, maybe not knowingly, but some of them definitely were just saying what they thought the king wanted to hear, right? And so, so he, Peter is saying, there were people back then who were false prophets, and, and so he's saying, uh, just as there will be false teachers among you. He's like, it's going to happen today. And it is happening today. It was happening to them back then. And he's addressing this problem. But he says, um, he says uh, just as there will be false teachers among you. So these are people coming from within the church. Within the church. These are not uh, outsiders coming in. They're, they're, the false teachers are coming from within the church. Um, I don't have these verses up here. You might want to jot them down. Acts 20, 29, 30 um, is Paul is mentioning to the Ephesian, I think it's the Ephesian elders in this case, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, now he's talking to the elders, from amongst your own selves, elders, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so, you know, this passage in Second Peter that we're on today should just kind of serve as a warning to us, right? That's kind of the application. You need to know what to look for um, in, in a false teacher. In Jude, which follows right after Second Peter, there's a lot of similarities, by the way, between Jude and Second Peter. In fact, any commentary you usually pick up has those two together in the same book, Second Peter and Jude. Jude, verse 4, says this, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Do you see some uh, common things there from the passage we read in Second Peter? He mentions sensuality, and he mentions denying the Master. Okay, similar things going on. But, but the thing I just wanted to, to emphasize here first is the first characteristic is that these are not necessarily people that are going to be coming in from, the in, uh, from the outside in. They're coming from within the church. All right, another characteristic uh, is that they don't announce themselves. These guys uh, don't have T-shirts that say, I'm a false teacher. 
Okay? Uh, so the verse there says, it says, verse 1, who will secretly bring destructive heresies. And so we should, we should see that, you know, this is going to be something that's not going to be so overt, um, but things happening behind the scenes uh, um, or something like that. But it's, they're secretly doing this, okay? So they don't announce themselves. Another characteristic here is their teachings are destructive and often divisive. Actually, the word heresies uh, has as a part of its meaning the idea of being divisive, okay? Uh, a heresy. Um, but uh, so, so it's destructive. Now, in what way is it destructive? Well, I think it's interesting if you, if you look just a little further in Second Peter, there's another way he uses this word, or in, in another instance, I should say, he uses this word, 2 Peter 3, 7. 2 Peter 3, 7, he says, but, the same, by, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So that destruction there, that word for destruction, is, is, is similar in nature as this destructive heresies. And so, same book, same word. I think it's probably saying that those that follow their teaching, the conclusion is they will be destroyed. So, it's serious. Like, these are not like, oh, we're differing on the color of carpet at the church. Or, you know, these are not minor issues. These are major issues that are at stake. Okay? They are destructive heresies, all right? And so this is this is something again. There, you know, there are major, uh, you know. And by the way, you know, just because some but two Christians disagree on some particular issue doesn't mean that one of them is a heretic. Okay, there's uh, we're talking about things that are on the level, in which I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but on the level of, you know, core beliefs uh, in the Christian faith, core beliefs. That you cannot, you know, once you get rid of that, it's, you're not talking Christianity anymore, um, especially. And that doesn't mean that other things don't matter, okay? Um, that, uh, but we're talking uh, what some people call like first-tier type of beliefs, first-tier type of core beliefs. So, but there's destructive heresies. Um, a fourth characteristic here is that just that they are heresies. Their teachings are unorthodox. All right, and so I think the best way to think about this is when you uh, read the book of Acts, and it says there. Um, let me just go before I misquote Acts. So early on. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's what I'm looking for. It's in there. Is it 1711? Okay.
Acts 17.11 is not it. Okay. Anyway. Oh, okay. So anyway, so it's that, it's the, it's that, it's 2.32. It's coming to me now. Okay. Just a little delay. Okay. Uh, isn't that? <laughs> uh, no, it's not. Anyway. So I surprised somebody hasn't Googled it by now. All right, so, and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking bread, and to fellowship, right? That part there. And so just that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's what came to my mind. And, and that core truth of the gospel and the core faith that was delivered to us by the apostles. And I think that when we think of what's orthodox and what's not, is definitely hangs on that, right? And again, not that the other things don't matter, like other matters, because uh, there's, there's truth, there's falsehood, and other minor things too. But I think that he's talking about, specifically when he says the type of heresies there, he says, um, in verse 1, he says, even denying the master who bought them. Right? So they're, this heresy is of the level, they've kind of just denied who Jesus is. We don't know specifically we're denying his divinity or what. Some aspect, they were denying Christ's identity somehow. Who he was, what he's accomplished. They're denying him in some way. Um, and so, you know, and usually a lot of false te- teaching comes back to who Jesus is, who the Bible says he is. It's, it's an attack on him, Right? Um, or even say he didn't raise again from the dead. And, and actually, we know that one of the teachings these guys were saying was that, well, there's not going to be a second coming. The false teachers here uh, later in the book uh, tell us that, um, as Peter combats this, that they didn't believe the second coming was going to be happening. Right? So it could be that he's saying that they're denying him in that way. Okay? But, so, so we have to realize that, you remember when we did, uh, those guys have been around here for a little, for a little bit, we did a series on the Apostles' Creed. We, we talked about the core tenets of the Christian faith. And if, you, if you're not familiar with that, I mean, whether it's here or somewhere else, you need to hear the teaching on that, on those core beliefs. Uh, that'll get you started on being able to know what's true, right? So that when you hear something that's false, that comes against the core uh, of the Christian faith, against the truth of the Scriptures, you'll, you'll know it. Okay, or it'll it'll seem off. Okay, so so these are destructive heresies, uh, even denying who the true Jesus is, which kind of tells you that uh, where these people are going to be ending up. Because if they've denied Jesus altogether, right, what's going to happen? This fifth characteristic that's listed in verse two, it says. Um, their lifestyle is one of sensuality, right? Because it says there, and many will follow their sensuality. And embedded in that word is just the whole idea of sexual immorality. Okay, that sexual immorality is definitely uh, being thought of in this. So their lifestyle, the, the teacher's lifestyle. Um, now, it may not be overt sensuality, but it might be back in the shadows somewhere. But these false teachers uh, in this particular situation, 
part of their profile was uh, sexual immorality and sensuality. If you go to Galatians chapter 5, this is one of the uh, places where, hopefully I'll get this scripture reference right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. I did write this one down. I'll teach you to go off script, you know. Um, Galatians five nineteen. There are several places in the Bible where you get this list of vices and virtues, uh, you might say, kind of contrasting things. And so it says here in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. In other words, you can, you can see the works of the flesh. He's saying sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Which kind of gives you the idea this is not an exhaustive list. I warn you, and as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he gives uh, the contrast. But, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I feel like I'm on the verge of feedback. Is that true or is that just me hearing something vibrate up here? Okay, all right, you're good. This is me. All right, so um, when you go through that list, now what he's saying is like, what he's not saying is that, well, okay, if you've gotten drunk once, you're not going to heaven. What he's saying is, if you live the lifestyle of a drunkard, or you live the lifestyle of someone who has fits of anger, and so on, these things, your life is not showing that Christ is living in you. You're not showing the fruit of the Spirit. And so, he's saying that if this is the way you're living, you know, you're, it doesn't look like you're headed to heaven. It doesn't look like that Christ is living in you. Just like we got that list of things at the beginning here of, of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, when he gave a, a list of some things. And so, we just need to realize that this, these false teachers have, whether it's out in the open or behind uh, in the shadows, uh, lives of sensuality, and sexual immorality. They, they, they prob- I'm making speculation here, but I'm going to guess they're probably going to be making some kind of teaching that would say, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. You know, um, God's not really concerned about that. He's really, you know, because um, you know, it's really about what we believe that affects our spirit, not how we use our bodies. Some kind of false teaching along those lines, right? And so that that should, if you hear stuff like that, uh, that God doesn't care about how you live your life and it has no impact on on your trajectory, <laughs> then uh, that's false teaching. Okay, that's false teaching for sure. And then this uh, sixth characteristic here that I saw was that they will lie to get money. They will lie to get money. In verse 3 it says, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. They will, they'll lie uh, to satisfy their greed for money. And so 
whether it's, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I, I suppose one expression of this could be, you know, s- some uh, in the, like the prosperity gospel type of thing could promise you, you know, send me your seed money, you know, give me a hundred, you'll get a thousand back, you know, when that's never, you know, happens. And, and so just, just that kind of taking advantage of people's faith in this way, right? Uh, it's just, it's, that's false teaching. God doesn't promise, uh, you know, uh, financial reward. He'll bless you when you're generous, that's for sure. But we're, we don't know that we're going to get that back in finances. Okay, We don't know that. Um, and so that, that's false teaching. So um, you see this sometimes. People taking, well, didn't we have, uh, now, so there was somebody that was trying to take advantage of people in the church this week. Somebody we don't even know. There was an email, people trying to contact people by email and uh, trying to uh, see if they can get them to send them gift cards, right? Um, you know, and it's just, it's sad because people taking advantage of people's kind-heartedness, and I don't believe anybody fell prey to it. Thankfully, people saw through that and we were able to get word out, but imagine somebody being in a church leadership position and then using that position of authority to, uh, for financial gain. That's what we're talking about. That's a sign of a false teacher. All right, well, what about the impact what about the impact that these false teachers are going to have, it says? Well, in verse 2, it says, many will follow them. Many will follow them. So um, that's going to be an impact on the inside of the church. People are going to just go off and follow them. Right? And, and uh, may end up, well, it just depends on the individual, right? But they may end up kind of chucking Jesus altogether, right? Um, if they deny the master, it says, who bought them. And so this will be an impact on the inside the church, people peeling off and following these people. What, what about the outside the church? Outside the church, well, it's bad PR for the gospel. I mean, this is, this is, the, this is the true one way on how you can be right with God gospel, right? It's the only gospel. It's, and, and so what happens is, under the name of Christianity, when people are false teaching under that banner and doing things like this and living in ways that are ungodly and taking advantage and with greed and so on, when that happens and people see that, that are outside the church, they're going to think that's what Christianity is and they're going to cast that aside. That's not real. See, I just knew it was just like all the others type of thing. And so... Uh, and this, this verse 2 says, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And this is a tragedy. This is a tragedy because they're not getting the true story, right? And so uh, I'll bet some of you, maybe in sharing your faith or just talking with relatives or friends at times have run across somebody that when they find uh, out that you go to church or maybe you've invited them to church, and a lot of times some people will say that, well, I don't really believe in organized religion because I've seen all these things done in the name of church and Christianity, and they'll name whatever it is, some kind of exploitation or abuse of power or something like that. And so you can understand uh, someone's hesitancy 
if, if they've personally experienced that. But a lot of this is kind of like just hearsay. It's, sometimes it's kind of like a smoke screen. And, and, and that, that somebody said, well, I, I kind of, I've heard about this, or maybe I've seen this in the news has happened, so I don't really know if I can trust church anyway. But, but to really just say, well, that's not what it's about. Let me share the gospel with you, or let me, if you have time, could, could we get together and talk about what Christianity really is? What does it mean to believe in Jesus and what that really is like? And get a chance to actually uh, correct the false advertising, if you will, okay? Um, and the best advertising for false advertising is your words and your life. Uh, I say both because uh, you need to have a witness, really. People need to know how to come to faith, but they also need to see that you're genuine. Okay, and not that you're perfect, but that you're, you're genuinely pursuing a Christ-like life. And if you, you do uh, offend them or hurt them, uh, you, you ask for forgiveness. You model uh, Christ-like you know, uh, teaching on, on pursuing uh, you know, forgiveness with others and so on. So we need to be a good witness, and, and we need to try to, as best we can, by God's grace, um, advertise our lives in such a way as that we, we try to shout down the noise of all the bad advertising okay, that goes on, the bad press. Because that's usually what happens, is the press gets the bad stuff that happens. And, and unfortunately, that's kind of what people remember rather than what truly is a Christian life and what it is to know Christ. So, so there's, there's a fallout from within the church. People will follow these false teachers. There's, there's fallout outside the church. Uh, bad PR, if you will. The gospel is maligned. Well, in this passage, in these three verses, we're told two things. In two different places, what's going to happen to these folks, these false teachers. It says um, they're bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And then it says their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. That's, that's God through Peter telling us they're going to get theirs. And this has been marked out from long ago. Almost like I was talking about with Habakkuk, you know, that justice is going to be done for these people, and if they're denying Christ, then they, they never knew him anyway, okay? So um, I mentioned this earlier on in the book of Second Peter, that we, we, you know, believe this, we don't believe the Scripture teaches that you can lose your salvation. Um, if it says somebody like this denies the master who bought them, you know, they really weren't Christ's. He's using this word, uh, kind of in a general sense. He's just simply saying, you know, it looked like they were, but they're not. You know, they're, uh, you know some people call that word, they're an apostate. They never really knew Christ. It, it seemed like they maybe did, but then their true colors show over time. And so this is their end. So he, he's warning uh, the people here, these, these groups, this group of believers, he's warning them what to look out for. And then in the rest of chapter 2, we're going to get a little bit more filled in on some of the specifics of the heresies that were going on. I didn't want to spill all the beans here in one day, but I think that there's, um, there's some good general characteristics that we need to look for right here. And this is why 
This is why you and I need to do our own study. Anything that comes from this pulpit, whoever's speaking, needs to be examined to see if it's so, right? Uh, you don't just kind of swallow it just because Pastor Greg said it, you know? Uh, we need to really examine these things and to study the Scriptures for ourselves so that we can um, compare and make sure that we're getting, the, we're getting it cut straight, basically. Okay? All right, so... As we look over this passage and as, as we think about it, I just hope that you will be on your guard, okay? I hope that you will not believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. You cannot believe everything you read on the internet. But so many people get their theology from that. Uh, and there are some good things and there's some bad things. Uh, this is why I've said a number of times that I think it's, it's really a good idea and a safeguard for us if we process um, our beliefs in community. There's a safeguard there, right? That where we, we talk about what we're learning and, and, and your Bible study with one another and you, 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 whether it's in a small group or one-on-one talking to each other and so that you can say, you know, I'm, I'm wrestling with this passage. I don't know what it means. Or, or what do you think about this thing I read on the internet? I mean, just that you can process that. Uh, there's there's uh, safety in that. Okay? There is safety in that. And so I, I hope that you will, um, you know, be diligent to study these things for yourselves. Whenever we're, whenever we're uh, in the Bible together, you're diligent to do that and that you're you're, you realize some of these characteristics, you know, you'll identify, you know, don't be surprised. False teaching is going to come out of the church, capital C, right? Any church could be, right? Um, this is why I think plurality is a good idea. Actually, not a good idea. It's a God idea. <laughs> I think when you, like, so when you talk about plurality of leadership, right? When, when, it, um, when Paul in the book of Acts, goes around starting these churches, it says he appointed elders, plural, right? Plural. Um, And I think so just because there's safety and plurality. There's some checks and balances there. And and that I'm really thankful for uh, the five elders that we have, that there's checks and balances there, that nobody's going to be able to uh, get away with something, right? And because you're in each other's lives and you're not just having meetings, you're involved in each other's lives as well. And so um, I, I, think it's, I think it's good. I think churches should have plurality uh, whenever possible in their leadership teams. So, all right, well, listen, that, that's going to get us like started uh, on the false teaching that's going on and looking at the false teachers. Let's, let's go to the Lord and pray here. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these characteristics of a false teacher here, these, these things that are just right there on the pages. These people are going to come out of the church as we see, and we see that they're not going to announce themselves, that, but their teachings are destructive and they're going to lead people uh, to their own destruction. Father, help us to to be 
students of your word, just continually growing in our understanding and knowledge of the faith and what our what the apostles handed down that were you know the, the, the scriptures here help us to know it well and to grow in our knowledge of it so that we can spot false teaching things which are not considered considered orthodox but help us also lord to realize that how we live our lives and how our leaders live our lives it it matters it's not anything goes because we're covered by the blood. No, it's we're covered by the blood and our lives are being transformed. Father, protect us. Protect our church from false teaching. Um, Lord, help, help those that teach. Help myself. Help others that speak from here to realize that, as it says, there's a stricter judgment for us because um, a lot of damage can be done by not telling the truth or being off. So Lord, grant us that grace, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.